0: Today's reading is Romans, chapter 10, which is found on pages page 1137 of the Church Bibles. Romans, chapter 10. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes about this righteousness, that is, by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the deep? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But, what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. And richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, Their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And as Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Amen.
1: Logan, thanks very much. Do keep Romans chapter 10 open in your Bibles. And let me just lead us in a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God who speaks to us. Please, would you open our ears and our hearts to hear you speaking to each one of us this morning. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Um, So the Gage household has taken delivery of uh, some new members. And if you have a nervous disposition, you might want to look away. This is Mary, Martha and Matilda. And um, now if you own a pet, you know that there is a duty that goes with owning a pet. It's not all just cuddles and feeding them celery and and things like that. There is a duty that goes with owning a pet. Actually, you need to look after it, don't you? Uh, And what we find in the Gage household is that everyone wants to hold the guinea pigs and give them cuddles, but no one wants to do the duty of cleaning out the cage or you know, brushing their hair and stuff like that. They want to do the nice bits, but we don't want to do the duty of the hard work that goes along with it. But actually, duty is something really important. It's important that, that we look after those animals, and it's important that we think... Properly about what our duty is in this world and what the Bible has to say about our duty. And we don't like talking about it, whether it's guinea pigs or, or whether it's more serious things as well. We all kind of want to hold the pet, but no one wants to clean them out. Well, let's think about what Paul is saying in this, uh, in this passage in, in Romans, shall we? Well, what Paul is saying is that actually we all, all of us have a duty All of us have a duty to respond to the good news of Jesus. And if we ignore our duty, it's bad. If we ignore uh, the duty of looking after our animals, our pets, well, they would get sick and they would die. But if we ignore our duty to respond to what we read here, we risk that for ourselves. We risk death, alienation, from God forever. So it's a really serious thing that we make sure we get it right. So we're thinking about our responsibility, our duty this morning, and our duty to respond to the gospel. And firstly, we're going to see that Paul tells us we've got a duty to respond to what you know. Um, what Paul is doing in this chapter, we've been going through Romans earlier on in the year, chapters 1 to 8. Uh, he changes tack a bit in Romans 9 to 11. And, and he's a He's grappling with a question um, that comes out of the previous chapters. So so Paul is thinking about the Jewish people, of which he's of, the Israelites. They had been expecting the Messiah, the promised one, the king, to come for for nearly 2,000 years. And the issue that Paul is grappling with is when Jesus the Messiah finally did turn up, why didn't all of the Israelites receive him? Why didn't the Jews receive him? Quite the opposite. We read about this in, in John chapter 1 verse 11. It says that Jesus came to his own, but they did not receive him. The promised Jewish Messiah came and many Jews at the time believed his, his disciples were made up of Jewish believers, but, but many of the Jewish religious leaders rejected him. Why? They had known about him coming. Why did they reject him? What what Paul tells us, he gives us a glimpse as to why. So have a look down at your Bibles. Have a look at verses uh, 1 and just into verse 2. He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites, that's his people, is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. Paul is saying there's a problem. He's saying my family, my people, they don't believe they don't believe Jesus is the promised Messiah. And we've seen last week as well as this week, that is gripping tightly round his heart, that his people aren't saved. And that's not just his people, the Israelites, but actually it's most of our people, too. That might be true for, for our family. We're thinking, God, it, it really pains me to, to look around my, my family, my friends. Or, or a few of us were out in, in town yesterday and, and looking around saying, actually, my people don't know you. They don't come to you. They don't love you like I do. If this doesn't agitate you, it should be con- you should be concerned. If it doesn't agitate you that, that people are walking around our city who don't know Jesus Christ, you should be concerned. But if it does concern you, you shouldn't be agitated. Because actually it shows that you understand. That that desire to see your people in a relationship with God through Christ is a good thing. Because actually it prompts us into to action, into prayer, into doing stuff about it. But Paul says there's a particular problem with his people that, probably true for for a lot of us and our people as well. He says that they are very zealous. They are very religious. Well, surely that's a good thing. We've been thinking about in our evening service uh, about the prophet Jeremiah uh, with this message to God's people um, who had, who who were kind of, they were worshipping God a a, a bit on on some days, but they also had all these other gods as well they were worshipping. The nation was kind of plagued with idols and as a result, and because they weren't willing to change, God sent them into exile. Now, that time in exile taught God's people um, a really important lesson. And generally what happened when they came back is that idolatry was less of an issue, at least obvious idolatry was, was less of an issue for the Jews. They, they In one sense, they, they now desired a purer worship because they'd seen what trouble idolatry would get them in. So they were they were zealous. They were they were in one sense. They were pure. They they knew how dangerous idols were. But actually, there was still something wrong, even though they were very religious. They they looked good on the outside. Paul says his people aren't saved. He desires for them to be saved. So even though they did all this stuff, they said all the right things, they they sung the right songs, they, they spoke all the right things. They were doing this to try and please God, but but something was hugely wrong. They looked great on the outside, but but something was amiss. Have a look then what it says just after that in in verse 2. He says, though they are zealous for God, their zeal is not based on knowledge. It's not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Paul's saying is what they were doing all of their religious life, all of their worship wasn't based on knowledge of what God actually wants and what he requires. We look um, as, as the as the church is uh, is kind of exploding into life in Acts chapter two. Um, God makes it clear that the way to be made right with him was through repentance. That is a, a turning around to him. By faith in Jesus Christ. That's what God had demanded. That is God's way. That's still God's way for us today. But this wasn't happening for for lots of Paul's people, for the Jews. Instead of choosing to accept God's way of being made right with him, they insisted on choosing their own way. Or as it says here, they sought to establish their own righteousness, Now, now for those who have been here at BH, while we've been going through Romans, righteousness word comes up again and again and again. And it's basically like a a judicial status. It's standing in front of the judge and the judge saying, you are declared right. But that's not what's going on here. Instead, there's there's a self-righteousness. They're trying to set up their own kind of righteousness. They're saying about themselves that we are right. We are in the right because we believe we've done everything we need to do to be in the right. But well, think about that if you were standing in court and you're saying the judge is standing there before you you've heard everything all the evidence read against you and it says well it doesn't matter what you think about me judge because i feel okay about myself. that's the picture of 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 self-righteousness it's it's passing judgment on ourselves whether for good or for bad instead of actually hearing what the judge says about us whether he says, No, you are forgiven or no you are guilty. That would be crazy in court, wouldn't it? But we do it all the time in our own life. We judge ourselves by some standard, maybe that's by the standard like like the like um many of the Jews were doing, by the standard of, of God's commands. Or judging us by by our own standards, you know, how we think we should live, what what living a good life looks like and we judge ourselves by those own standards. By thinking, you know, at the end of the day, whatever we've done, thinking, I'm not that bad. Certainly comparing myself with other people, I could name. We try and put ourselves in the right. We try and justify ourselves. But but actually, we know that doesn't work. And we know it doesn't work for when we get it wrong, when we fail to either live up to God's standards or live up to our own. Because we tend to do one of two things. If we If we're practicing that kind of self-righteous life. If we fail... Well, we either kind of suppress it. If we do something that we know is wrong um, and we're living this kind of way, we're trying to establish a righteousness of ourselves. When we, when we fail, we might suppress it and say, it wasn't as bad as I think it was. You know, um, that, wasn't, that wasn't really a lie, it was just uh, embellishing the truth. Um, that wasn't really lust, that was just appreciating beauty. We, we kind of suppress the truth about ourselves. We, we can't be honest with ourselves because we know what the judgment is, or we just get so depressed by it. Now, um, this, this week, if you notice, I'm wearing a little green, um, little green badge, and um, I think I spotted one other one. I think Sue's wearing one as well. This, this week, we're we're uh, it's we're remembering how um, many people suffer with with mental illness and mental health problems, and actually. If you are someone who struggles with self-righteousness, then think about what, what effect that will have on your mental health, let alone your, your spiritual standing before God. It's, it's a terrible thing, isn't it? That we either suppress the truth about ourselves or or that we just depress when we fail to live up to those standards. And, and that's what was happening in Paul's day and that's what happens in our lives today. It all comes down to to actually... Not ignoring God's way, but how we relate to the one who changes everything. Have a look, verse 4. Paul says, Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. He says, forget about trying to make a righteousness for yourself. That's not going to work. That's a ridiculous thing to do. And says, look to the one who changes everything. You see, that the laws that the, the, the Jews knew... Uh, really really well that law actually points to jesus it always has done it has always pointed to the messiah to the need for a savior and if you miss that you've missed the whole point of it it's like getting really excited about a trailer for a film Uh, and you see um i love star wars and and the trailer for that came out recently i was oh the trailer's great but actually once the film comes out the the trailers by and by you know well that that was fine but but it's all about the movie, isn't it? But what what the people are doing here, they're saying, no, it's about the trailer. Forget the movie. Well, actually, no, the movie's come. That's what it's all about. Don't worry about the trailer anymore. That was just to get you ready for the movie. The movie is here. Jesus is here. He is the one that it is all about. If you've missed that, you missed the whole point of it and what it was pointing to. The law, God's commands, they're meant to give us life by pointing us To Jesus. But if you ignore him, the law actually does the opposite. It becomes the thing that will condemn us. And that's why we don't make it all about the law or about trying to keep these commands. We let that point us to Christ and our need for a savior. Because we cannot keep God's commands perfectly. Or even our own commands, the own things that we think about how we should live a life. We can't keep those things perfectly, can we? And that's why we need a saviour. You see, God doesn't want us to try and justify ourselves, make ourselves right. He knows that will never work. He knows that that is the way to death and not to life. And that's what happens if we try and set up our own righteousness. Perhaps you, perhaps you know this, but actually there's, there's a duty to, to respond to what you know. Perhaps it's just, at the moment it's just head knowledge. You've, you've heard this kind of stuff. But actually what I want us to see this morning is, our opportunity to respond to what we know personally. So, how are we meant to respond to this? Well, we respond to what we know, uh, and we respond to the word that saves. Paul's uh, Paul's passage here in Romans ten tells us. Uh, firstly. Um, how we can't be saved and how we're not to try and do it. So have a look with me at at verse five. He goes back and quotes from Moses, someone who the Jews would be familiar with. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. Now, Moses is a big deal. Obviously, uh, Catherine was telling us about Moses earlier on and, um, He's a big deal whether you are a Christian or whether you're a Jew. And he is the one who is who's personally handed the Ten Commandments by God on Mount Sinai. And was given the law by God to give to his people, the, the Jews, the Israelites. But Paul quotes him and says that, that those who who try and live their life by this law must must do it perfectly. As if you want to try And be self-righteous. Judge yourself in your own eyes and justify yourself before God. You've got to keep them all perfectly. You really have. You've got to keep these commands perfectly. But none of us can. We can't go. I know I can't go a day without failing to live up to God's good and perfect commands. To love him with all my heart. To love my neighbors, even to, to love the people who, who are who are easy to love, let alone the people who are hard to love. So I don't want God to have to judge me by how well I can keep those things because I can't. And that's one mistake that, that Paul is saying that we might make about how we try and put ourselves in the right. The other mistake is in thinking that God hasn't made it clear to us. Oh God, if only you would, you would show me what you want me to do, well, show me how to do it. Well, we can't use that excuse, can we? That's what Paul is saying in verse 6 and 7. He says that the righteousness that is by faith, that's God's way of being made right with him, says don't say in your heart who will ascend to heaven or who will descend into the deep. What Paul is doing is he's quoting Moses again. He's quoting the book of Deuteronomy and says it's not like you have to make your way all the way to heaven to find out what you need to do. That's why it says verse eight, but what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. For the Jewish people, they knew their Old Testament really well. They had the very words themselves that should point them to the, point them to the Messiah, to Jesus. So there's no good saying, well, you know, if God would make it clear to us, He has made it clear how to not to try and save ourselves and, and who we need to go to to find salvation. But he's also shown us how it can be done as well. And we see that. Verse 9, great passage as we think about uh, this today. This is the faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What a great verse um, to remember as we think about how we can be made right. With God, how we can be made friends, we can be forgiven, have eternal life. Paul is saying, don't try and go to these ridiculous lengths to try and save yourself, pretend to be perfect, all this outward display of religiosity. All you have to do to be saved by God is believe. Believe. And the way Paul Paul states that is in two different ways. Firstly, he says that you need to be willing to say that Jesus is Lord. Now, now in Paul's day, particularly in in Rome, where this letter is being written to, there was pressure to say that someone else was Lord, to say that Caesar was Lord, and that that was a real big temptation and, and a real uh, threat for a lot of the Christians for the first uh, two three centuries, to give into pressure and to say. Caesar is Lord. But Paul is saying, no, Jesus is Lord. He is king. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, not Caesar. But you can only say that, and you can only proclaim that if you really believe it. Because the Christians who were saying that, who weren't willing to say that Caesar is Lord, Or many of them were martyred and killed for that proclamation. It's so easy for us to say to one another or to people in in, in the street, Jesus is Lord. But in Paul's day, you could risk losing your life for saying that. So you're only going to say it if you really believe it. And Paul says, this is what we are to believe, that Jesus is Lord. We're, We're to proclaim that. But he says something else as well, doesn't he? Look, in verse 9. He says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So so we are to believe not only that Jesus is Lord, that he is reigning, that, that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, but actually that God has raised him from the dead, that Jesus is alive. That is the central claim of Christianity that made it so uh, so controversial um, as the gospel was going out into the world Uh in Paul's day, and, and still is the case today, and that's the center of the claim of, of what Christianity is all about, is that Jesus is alive, because that means that he really is who he said he was, and that his death wasn't just a sad thing that happened, but it actually achieved something for us. So we believe not only that Jesus is Lord, but that God raised him from the dead. And Paul says this isn't just for a select few, this is for everyone who would believe. Have a look at verse 13. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever you are, whatever you've done or or haven't done, you can be saved. Whoever you are. Saved from judgment. Your own condemnation and and God's condemnation. You can be saved from that by receiving this eternal life, just by believing in Jesus' name. Freedom, as, as Paul says, from shame. You will never be put to shame those who are trusting in Jesus, if that is you. I wonder, can you believe that? Do you believe that? Sometimes it's hard. We struggle to believe when something comes to us, which is free. If you're standing out on the street and someone's willing to give away free stuff, you're skeptical, aren't you? There must be some catch. Well, there is no catch. This gift comes to us freely. But there is a cost, isn't there? There was a cost for him. There was a cost for Jesus, his own life. Dying in our place so that we might have eternal life. But this is just the start. I and mean, we could spend, spend the whole, whole sermon just thinking about that verse and, and thinking about that. We'll obviously do that in our small groups this week and think about what it means to, to really believe in Jesus and, and encourage one another. But this is just the start, because actually when you do believe, not only are you willing to, to say Jesus is Lord, but actually you want other people to hear it too, don't you? And, and verses 14 and 15 show us why we would want to share it. And this is great verse we're thinking about Wycliffe, especially today, and what Susanna's going to be doing. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. If we really do believe, we've got to want to share it. Now, there were were five or six of us from from BH yesterday um, who were out in town um, helping to share Jesus with people as part of the Brighton Fringe, speaking to people. But that is five or six out of 200, maybe more. Don't say that to to make you feel bad about yourselves, but actually, we want to be a church that that shares Jesus with, with this city. Paul had a passion for his people, we need to have that passion for our people too. In town yesterday, there were there were tens of thousands of people, thousands of people walking past us. But how can they call on the one they don't know? How can they believe if they've not heard about him? And how can they hear if no one's told them? You see, it's it's our duty, whoever we are, to share Christ. Now, that doesn't all mean actually that we're going to go out on the streets of Brighton uh, and be evangelists. It doesn't all mean that we're going to go to Ethiopia to work with Wycliffe. But if you do believe this, it is your duty to share Christ with the people around you. It's it's not easy. There's no point standing up here and saying it is easy, but it is our duty. And we want to take it seriously because we know that people need to hear it so that they can be saved, saved forever. Your first duty then is to respond to this word that saves. That's all of our duty, to respond to God's word that saves. We do that first by believing in Jesus, but then we've got to want to share it. We really have. We've got to want to tell others about this good news. Maybe we can think about that in our small groups this week, who we can be sharing that with this week. Who we can tell so that they hear and they have a chance to respond? Well, lastly, then, what, what should we expect? What do people do with this good news? Well, there's continuity between what happened in Paul's day and what happens to us today. And, and our duty is to respond to God's grace. Now, Paul makes the case that, that as amazing as this is, being made right with God just by believing in Jesus' name, some people do reject it. Verse 16, he says, But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? It was the true in Isaiah's day hundreds of years before Paul writing this. It was true in Paul's day after Jesus the Messiah had come. And it's true in our day as well. Yesterday, while we, were, while we were out, we heard that two people gave their life to Christ. Now, that is a great thing. There was a party in heaven last night for those two souls who had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. That's great news. People made in the image of God who were saved from hell and will now look forward to eternity with God in heaven. Great news. But most of the people rejected it. And that is hard. It's disheartening when that happens. And what was interesting is most people rejected it when they heard Jesus' name. They were turned off that point. They, they left. They turned away. His is the name that is causing offense. That's nothing new. It happens in our day. It happens. It happened in Paul's day as well. Some people were rejected. But others will seek it and find it like those two yesterday have been saved forever. Have a look quickly then at verse 20. I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. There were Jews in Paul's day who did receive the good news. And there are Jews today who are receiving the good news. Praise God. But from the beginning, God's plan was to make a new people for himself, both Jew and non-Jew, united together in one person, Christ. And that is something that any of us can and should want to be part of. Matthew uh, records Jesus' words in chapter 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So as we as we prepare to, to think about receiving communion. As we've got some time to pray. I wonder are you seeking God's gift to you? Are you seeking God's gift to you? You have a duty to respond to that free gift through faith in Jesus Christ, through believing. And because we believe, we want to share it with the world. But God promises to help us to do that, which is why communion is a a really important time in, in the church family where we remember God's commitment to us through what he has done for us through his son. And his spirit will help us to live out that duty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, none of us like thinking about our duty, I'm sure. But Lord, please would you help us. Please convict us. Help us to to see how how our people here in this city uh, or wherever we're visiting from, your people around the world, they they need to hear this. Please help us to be bold, courageous, to do our duty, to share Jesus with the people that we meet. Even if they turn away, just help us to do our duty. And we pray that you would help us now by your Holy Spirit. Amen.